Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 318. Today's big Bible question, how is the Word of God living and active? We're also going to be talking about the dangers of daily Bible reading. Well, hello, friends. Happy and blessed Monday to you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, even though it's a Monday. We have several new listeners joining us, uh, usually on a daily basis, including new subscribers from all over India. Interestingly enough, welcome to all of you. A new subscriber from Norfolk, Virginia that downloaded a lot of episodes and an eager, eager new friend from Columbia, South Carolina that now has over 112 episodes of the podcast to fill his time or her time over the next few years. As a reset for our new subscribers and for those that have been around since the beginning, we are a daily Bible podcast and we follow the Robert Murray McShane Bible Reading Plan uh, that uh, he, Pastor Robert Murray McShane, came up with way back in the 1800s. You can come download a free copy of that Bible reading plan from our website, or you can just Google it, but come to BibleReadingPodcast.com. That's BibleReadingPodcast.com. And it's not too late to join us. Just download a copy and get started. Don't worry about yesterday. Every day on the podcast, we read our day's passages together, focusing on one of those chapters and asking and attempting to answer one big Bible question a day, sometimes two. When McShane led his people during that initial Bible reading plan way back in the day, he initially warned them of four dangers, which we'll cover today, and he also gave them quite a few reasons to engage in a daily Bible reading plan, which we'll cover tomorrow and maybe the next day, both as a refresher for us and an explanation of our mission together. So here's what Pastor McShane says are four dangers of adopting a daily Bible reading plan. Number one, formality. We are such weak creatures, he says, that any regularly returning duty is apt to degenerate into a lifeless sort of habit. The tendency of reading the word by a fixed rule may in some minds be to create a sort of skeleton dead religion. This is to be a peculiar sin of the last days, says the Apostle Paul, having a form of godliness but denying its power. So, friends, guard against this. Let the calendar perish rather than this rust of dead religion eat up your souls. Second danger of a daily Bible reading plan, self-righteousness. Some people, when they have devoted their set time to reading of God's word and accomplished their prescribed portion for the week, may be tempted to look at themselves with self-complacency. Many, I am persuaded, are living without any work of God in their soul, unpardoned and unsanctified and ready to perish, who spend their appointed times in secret and family devotion. This is going to hell with a lie in their right hand, says McShane. Number three, danger of a daily Bible reading habit, careless reading. Few tremble at the word of God, and few in reading it hear the voice of Jehovah, which is full of majesty. Some, by having so large a portion of daily reading, may be tempted to get tired of it, as Israel did of their daily manna, saying, Our soul hates this light bread, and to read the Bible in a slight and careless manner. This would be fearfully provoking to God, so be cautious 
lest this word be true of you. You said also, Behold, what weariness is in this, and you have snuffed at it, says the Lord of hosts. Finally, number four, fourth danger in daily Bible reading plans. It can be a yoke too heavy to bear or a burden too heavy to bear for some people. Some may engage in reading with cheerful readiness for a time and afterwards feel it a burden grievous to be borne. They may find conscience dragging them through the appointed task without any relish of the heavenly food, just trying to get through it in other words. If this is the case with you, throw away the fetter and feed at liberty in the sweet garden of God. My desire, says McShane, is not to cast a snare on you, but to be a helper of your joy. Amen, friends. This should not be a chore to you or me. It should be a joy and a blessing for you. And look, I can honestly say, I do this podcast every day. Uh, Some days it takes three hours, some days a little bit less. A few times it's been a little bit more, but every single day. Now, Friday I do two of them so I can concentrate fully on getting ready for Sunday on Saturday, finishing up the sermon, etc. But I do this every day, and I can honestly say there have been very few days in God's grace, not by anything good in me, there have been very few days that this has been a burden to me. It has been life-giving joy to me because the Word of God is living and active. But if it's not for you, cast it off and just read the Bible so that your soul would be fulfilled, not that you finish some sort of prescribed uh, Bible reading plan. As I have noted before, if you are riding along with us on this daily Bible reading journey, if you miss a day or two or whatever, you don't have to worry about yesterday's Bible reading. Catch up if you'd like to. Catch up if you have the time. But you would do better to focus on today's bread, today's reading, so to speak. You don't have to double up on it. This is not a yoke. It's not a trial. It's not a grueling marathon. It's meant to be a blessing for you, and I hope it is. Today's Bible readings for us include 2 Kings 22, Psalm 140, Psalm 141, Joel 1, and Hebrews 4. Now, I'd love to focus on 2 Kings 22, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It gives us a picture of Josiah's. King Josiah's humble and tender-hearted response to the Word of God, but actually preached on that today at our church service at Valley Baptist in Salinas, California, and it would be redundant for some of you who are members there and have already listened to that message. If you haven't, though, and you'd like to catch up with it, you can come to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com, and find a link to it there, or you can catch up with me on Facebook, Chase A. Thompson, It's on my page, it's public, or you can find it on our church page, VBC Salinas, VBC Salinas. Today we want to focus on the living and active nature of the Word of God. Hebrews 4 describes God's Word as sharper than a sword and living and active. Let's read the passage. If you've been studying the Bible for a while, you're probably familiar with Hebrews 4.12. Uh, where it says the Bible is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. But allow me to encourage you to keep listening out for the end of that verse and the next one too, because there's something a little on the unexpected side there. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news, just as they did, 
But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. Even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again in that passage he says, They will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. But all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. So did you catch that? Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is living and sharp. It judges us. It judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Now, How can that be? When you think about that sentence, it's really weird. How can words on a page be alive and like do things? There's a fascinating truth here. The word of God is not merely words on paper. There is life and power in them. Notice the shift in pronouns from verse 12 to verse 13. It goes from it to him. Seamlessly, the the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Word of God and how it judges thoughts and intentions, and then he says that no creature is hidden from God. It is God doing the judging. How can this be? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure, but I am entirely sure that God is somehow, some way, alive and present in His Word. Now, I base that contention on a couple of things other than just this passage. For instance, John chapter 1 Uh, verses 1 through 4, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Or John 1, 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now we see the same dynamic again in Revelation 19:11 through 13 when Jesus is pictured by John about to return at the second coming. John says, "I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, 
and with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So Jesus is somehow, some way, the Word, and the Word became flesh. Jesus' name is called the Word of God. Now, this is a fascinating truth that I honestly just can't fully wrap my mind around. I'm not at all saying that God is the Bible and Jesus is the Bible, nor anything like that. But I am saying that the life of God, the life of Jesus, is somehow, some way beyond my reckoning in the Word of God. Go read a book like, I don't know, Huckleberry Finn. It's an interesting book that's cleverly written, but the life of Mark Twain is not in that book. And you're not going to encounter the spirit of Mark Twain while you're reading that book, just his words and his ideas. But the Bible is not like that. In reading the Bible, you are reading alive words, not dead words, and you will be encountering the author of those words as you read the words because the word of God is living and active. It's effective. It's active. It has life and it brings life. Now, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, gives a great illustration to help us understand this somewhat mysterious dynamic. Pastor Keller says, the word of God is ultimately not a book of just abstract principles and commands that you're trying to memorize or you're trying to learn the way you study a physics test textbook. We're told here that the Word of God shows you who you are. It's personal. It's a personal power. When you've moved into this phase of relationship with the Word of God, you sense a personal intelligence. You feel like the Word of God is really talking to you. You're supposed to be listening to it. It's talking to you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, because God himself, it's his Word. He comes and he speaks to you. He shows you who you are. He exposes you. He convicts you. He counsels you. There's a man named... Emile Callier, who was a professor of philosophy at Princeton University many years ago, he tells a story in an article that I wrote that I couldn't, that I read, uh, that I can't find now. Before he became a Christian, he says when he was a younger man, he decided he was going to create a special book for himself. Every time he read something somewhere that really, really moved him, really inspired him, really helped him, he copied it carefully into this notebook. So he was amassing all of his most favorite passages, his most compelling and inspiring and convicting texts he'd ever seen. And he couldn't wait for the day in which he would finish and just sit down and read right through it. He thought he was amassing a book that would understand him, a book that would counsel him, would lift him up, would inspire him, would help him get through the hardest time. So at one point, after he'd been doing this for months or even years, he sat down with his book under a tree and opened the book in eager anticipation, thinking about how that book was really going to lift him up and help him. And as he started reading through it, he was filled with disappointment because he realized he had changed. There were passages he was looking at saying, why did I think that was so important? He had changed even two, three years ago. He was disappointed. However, when he became a Christian and the Holy Spirit came into his life, and the Holy Spirit now is the author of this book, the Bible, he came to realize that the Bible was the book he'd been looking for. Because Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the divining of soul and spirit, judging the very thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He had always been looking for a book that was alive, a book that would understand him, a book that moved when he moved, 
no matter where he was, no matter what his situation, would come right at him and inspire him and expose him and convict him and show him where he was and show him who he was. It was the word of God. Have you moved beyond the rational? I don't mean you stop being rational. You read, you study, you learn. Then suddenly it gets personal. It's like the Holy Spirit is speaking directly through to you through the word of God. Does that happen to you? Do you know what that's talking about? To looking look into the word of God like a mirror and it shows you who you are and it counsels you more profoundly than any counselor possibly could. Have you gotten to that stage? says Keller. And it's a great question to grapple with, friends, because reading just a tiny little nugget of the Word of God every day, it's not going to cut it for 2020. I don't think it would cut it for any year. But brothers and sisters, it's not going to cut it for 2020. We need the Feast of the Word daily, maybe even hourly. And when we're feasting on the Word, we're not just getting dead letters. We're getting life-giving words from God that has supernatural effect on us and supernatural and gives supernatural guidance to us. So let us be a people of the word, not as a heavy religious obligation, but in the same way that an extremely thirsty man looks at a wonderfully cold cup of water with a few ice cubes in it and condensation on its edge. We need to look at the Word of God that way because our soul is a thirst. And the thing that will quench our thirst is God's living and active and effective Word. Well, let's continue in Second Kings chapter 22, and we will see a great example of how to receive the Word of God when you hear it. Verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkoth. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in all the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn to the right or the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent the court secretary Shaphan, son of Azalea, son of Meshulam, to the Lord's temple, saying, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah, so that, that he may total up the silver brought into the Lord's temple, the silver the doorkeepers have collected from the people. It is to be given to those doing the work. Those who oversee the Lord's temple, they in turn are to give it to the workmen in the Lord's temple to repair the damage. They are to give it to the carpenters, builders, and masons to buy timber and quarried stone to repair the temple. But no accounting is to be required from them for the silver given to them since they work with integrity. The high priest Hilkiah told the court secretary Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple, and he gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Then the court secretary Shaphan went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and have given it to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then the court secretary Shaphan told the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded the priest Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, the court secretary, Shaphan and the king's servant Uzziah, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judah about the words in the book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. So the priest Hilkiah, Ahikam, Akbar, Shaphan, and Uzziah went to the prophetess Huldah, wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, 
son of Harchas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district, and they spoke with her. And she said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Say to the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to anger me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Say this to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all of the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Then they reported to the king. Psalm chapter 140 Rescue me, Lord, from evil men. Keep me safe from violent men who plan evil in their hearts. They store up wars all day long. They make their tongues as sharp as a snake's bite. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Selah. Protect me, Lord, from the power of the wicked. Keep me safe from violent men who plan to make me stumble. The proud hide a trap with ropes for me. They spread a net along the path and set snares for me. Selah. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Listen, Lord, to my cry for help. Lord, my Lord, my strong Savior, you shield my head on the day of battle. Lord, do not grant the desires of the wicked. Do not let them achieve their goals. Otherwise, they will become proud. Selah. When those who surround me rise up, may the trouble their lips cause overwhelm them. Let hot coals fall on them. Let them, let them be thrown into the fire, into the abyss, never again to rise. Do not let a slanderer stay in the land. Let evil relentlessly hunt down a violent man. I know that the Lord upholds the just cause of the poor. Justice for the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name. The upright will live in your presence. Amen. Psalm 141 verse 1. Lord, I call on you. Hurry to help me. Listen to my voice when I call on you. May my prayer be set before you as incense. The raising of my hands is the evening offering. Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with evildoers. Do not let me feast on their delicacies. Let the righteous one strike me. It's an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Even now my prayer is against the evil acts of the wicked. When their rulers will be thrown off the sides of a cliff, the people will listen to my words, for they are pleasing. And when one plows and breaks up the soil, turning up rocks, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes look to you, Lord, my Lord. I seek refuge in you. Do not let me die. Protect me from the trap they have set for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Amen again. Joel chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children the next generation. What the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. 
What the swarming locust has left, the young locust has eaten, and what the young locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you wine drinkers, because of the sweet wine, for it has been taken from your mouth. For a nation has has invaded my land, powerful and without number. Its teeth are the teeth of a lion, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has devastated my grapevine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off its bark and thrown it away. Its branches have turned white. Grieve like a young woman dressed in sackcloth, mourning for the husband of her youth. Grain and drink offerings have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests who are ministers of the Lord mourn. The fields are destroyed. The land grieves. Indeed, the grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up and the fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, over the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The grapevine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the date palm, and the apple, all the trees of the orchard have withered. Indeed, human joy has dried up. Dress in sackcloth and lament, you priests. Wail, you ministers of the altar. Come and spend the night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God, because grain and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Announce a sacred fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the residents of the land at the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Woe because of that day, for the day of the Lord is near and will come as devastation from the Almighty. Hasn't the food been cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seeds lie shriveled in their casings. The storehouses are in ruin and the granaries are broken down because the grain has withered away. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle wander in confusion since they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep and goats suffer punishment. I call to you, Lord, for fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness and flames have devoured all the trees of the orchard. Even the wild animals cry out to you for the riverbeds are dried up and the fire has consumed the pastures of the wilderness. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Well, dear friends, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face and his hand to be upraised towards you. May you know him and his word in the depths of your heart and in the depths of your thoughts. Jesus is Lord. Good day to you and Godspeed.